to another edition of LGBT in the ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here with you once again on the Outsports Podcast Network. And we are wrapping up January today, which means that we are also wrapping up another edition of Journal January. And I can't think of a better person to have on to close out this second chapter of our only theme month <laughs> of the show um, than someone who I've had on to talk about events in the past um, and someone who is very um, integral to me even being here. Uh, one DJ Accent Report. Obviously, you know him from the Nobodies, Nobody's Watching Wrestling, um, as well as his writing that has appeared in a multitude of different publications. Um, but uh, he also, you know, more recently has been writing for uh, his own Substack, Judgment, and hasn't been covering as much pro wrestling lately, but his status as one of the people that really carved out this space for LGBTQ voices to speak on LGBTQ topics and people uh, in pro wrestling is undeniable. And I am very, very happy that I had the chance to sit down and chat with him about a number of things from uh, his catalog of works, um, as well as, you know, some, some chat about the industry as a whole right now. So we're very happy to bring that to you today. Before we get there, though, we got to hit some some topics in the world of pro wrestling, obviously. If you listened to yesterday's show with the shade, there was a lot to go over um, before we got into that uh, awesome interview with him. Um, also, I have to make a correction. I said this on Twitter yesterday after the show published, but I mentioned the wrong uh, day of, and and time for Pride Style Two, where the shade is defending the Princess of Pride title against Kid Bandit. That is actually happening on Saturday, January 29th at 5 p.m. Pacific. Um, so, yeah, make sure to check out that show, uh, twitch.tv slash pridestylepro. Um, also, big, big thing that is happening uh, as I'm recording this very intro, Pro Wrestling Vibes Pride and Vibe Weekend. Tickets went on sale as I am speaking right now. So um, definitely get ready for, for that. It's going to be a, a raucous and wild and just all-around uh, beautiful weekend of queer pro wrestling at its best. The first ever LGBTQ pro wrestling festival um, in June, June 17th and 18th. Tickets are available now. Um, go to shopiwtv.com or you can just go to Pro Wrestling Vibes. Twitter account, they have a link there, and it take, it'll take you right there. Um, I'm super excited for that event. Um, I loved the last time I went out to Jersey, and I can't wait to get back out there for another event like this. I'm glad that it's at the same location, because I know how to navigate to that place. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm excited. You know, Billy's been talking about it online um, since tickets went live, and... Uh, he seems to be excited with how 
how sales are going so far, which is awesome to see the response from the community and the people that want to see events like this. Uh, it also isn't really surprising considering how how um, successful Progressing Vibe in, in its different iterations before coming under the, the same name, Progressing Vibe, the success that those events have had, whether it be Paris is Bumping, Patrice's Gore, anything else that, that Billy and and Lowe have, have really um, put their hands on in the pro wrestling world. So, yeah, I'm stoked, and, and I'm glad to see that other people are too, and that's going to be a really fun weekend coming up here. And it also kind of ties into our guest this week, um, because <laughs> because Billy and DJ Axon Report have a DJ Axon Report have a very uh, close relationship, and um, same can be said for uh, Edith Surreal, who of course uh, starred as a uh, judge on the first episode of the second season of The Masked Wrestler on IWTV. Another really fun watch there. Um, your Dirt Dirt might be the number one insult on my brain now. Uh, that's going to get doled out a number of times, I think. Go check out the, that show as well. That's up and streaming over on IWTV. All kinds of good stuff to take, take in this weekend. Um, yeah, it's just, I love pro wrestling. <laughs> there's, there's so much to enjoy and so many different ideas and, and ways to present it as well. Another thing that we're going to get into now, because we're jumping into my interview here with DJ Axon Report. What's up guys, gals, and non-binary pals. Welcome back to LGBT in the ring. And as we close out this year's uh, edition of Journo January, uh, as I call it. I have on the show today someone who uh, self-described as well as described by others as the mother of all uh, journalists who talk about LGBTQ identities and pro wrestling. Um, someone who's been doing it for a long time in a lot of different places. Right now, you can catch a lot of his writing uh, on his Substack Judgment as well as his, uh, his YouTube channel with the Nobodies. Uh, please welcome DJ Accident Report back to the show. How you doing? Hi, thank you for having me again. I'm doing okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, surviving. I'm not ill so right now, so I feel like that's, that's good. about as good as you can ask for in this world. <laughs> I mean, that yes, that's that's a pretty big ask, I think, in a lot yeah. of places. So yeah, especially New York right now. So yes, no, I I feel you. I'm glad to, to hear you're doing well, and I'm glad to have you back on the show because I feel like you can't talk about um, queer identities in pro wrestling or pro wrestling media really without like having you be part of the conversation. Because, Thank you. I appreciate that. No, of course, for sure. Because I mean, I, like I said before, in past times that I've had you on the show, like a lot of what kind of pushed me to realize that my own coverage of, of this like sector of pro wrestling um, was a, was a viable thing was came from like seeing the nobodies, seeing mm. you and and Barica and and Ariel like do what y'all did, and so in that way, I feel like you know your presence. Uh, along with the rest of the crew there, really did push a lot of people, myself included, into like, covering this on a more regular basis. And it's it's become a very boisterous part of the wrestling media landscape as it continues to grow as well. Um, I want to talk to you about like kind of getting into that uh, initially, 
um, because you have a very, you have a lot of different uh, pies that you have a finger in. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm Definitely. curious, it's like, what, what initially led you to pro wrestling as a uh, topic to cover from a media perspective? Yeah. Uh, so I, I mean, as you know, I've been like a lifelong wrestling fan. I watched it my whole life. I've gone in and out of it my whole life. You know, like I think a lot of wrestling fans relate to like, they watched it a lot as a kid. They got back into it as a teen. They fell out of it. They had a friend in college. They watched it with that's like my tea. Um, and then so I got back into it, I want to say six or seven, maybe eight years ago. I started watching it again. I think the, when the network debuted, it was like so cheap and like such a novelty because there weren't all these a la carte streaming services. So I was just like, that's fun. I love wrestling. Like I'll buy that. And immediately got hooked on NXT because of Sasha and Charlotte um, and Sasha and Bailey. And so that's when I got back into it. It started being, I was writing for oxygen.com at the time, which has since turned into a true crime channel. But before it was a true crime channel, it was like a women's interest channel. So they, they like, they were, they were best known for like bad girls club, but they had a lot of other kind of female oriented reality shows for like, you know, 18 to 34 demographic of uh, usually it was all kinds of different women, but it was it was in general supposed to be a, just like women and women empowerment and women. And so I had an editor at the time named Hallie who, who adored me and I adored her. And this project came about where um, it was called the, not new 52, in progress 52. It was called in progress 52. And every week of the year, we would run a full profile on like uh, a woman who was making a huge difference in her field, whatever field that was. So at the time I was interviewing like female photographers, female, uh, like I interviewed Laomi from the ballroom scene. I interviewed um, a champion female taxidermist who was like making a name for herself as like the, the new face of taxidermy. And I didn't even suggest it, but my editor suggested at the time, she's like, you know, I'm, I'm seeing that this like women's wrestling thing is really taking off. Do you, have, do you know anything about that? I was like, sure do. And so I interviewed Princess Kimberly, um, who I'm sure she does not remember this, but was very kind to me and helpful. And then because that story did well, my editor just kept assigning me stories about um, women in pro wrestling. And obviously a lot of women in pro wrestling are also LGBTQ. So yes. like the, 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 my editor was very open to stories about LG, LGBTQ athletes and LGBTQ women. So I just kept doing that. And then I realized that I was also writing for Nylon Magazine at the time and they had a similar kind of open stance. They did some sports coverage, but not a lot. So I was pitching them all kinds of stories about LGBTQ people in wrestling. And at the time, no one, you know, like I said, this was six or seven years ago. No one was writing from like a culture perspective about wrestling. Sports writers were writing about it in kind of laughing terms. And then there was a whole uh, sector of wrestling media you know, like the Dave Meltzers and the Jim Cornettes that like had their own little sphere, but like people outside of the wrestling world obviously don't know who those people are. So, you know, I don't want to say I was one of the first because I'm maybe unaware of other people, but 
there weren't a lot of people at the time writing about wrestling from a feminist point of view, writing about it from a queer point of view, writing about it from a pop culture point of view of like, these are events and shows that have some feminist messages, obviously a lot of retrogressive messages, but the industry is changing and here's how we can think of it. And so from there, I just ended up covering it for all these websites. I, I, I'm sure there are other websites that I wrote, I wrote about deathmatch wrestling for Vine Pair. I wrote about, I did a bunch of profiles for Grindr's site Into, which um, at the time was really good. And uh, then they fired everyone because the Grindr CEO got outed as being anti-gay marriage. So yeah. uh, I would not read their website now. I don't want to give them the traffic, but it, <laughs> um, you know, the editors there were really open to stories about that. They were interested in it. So that's kind of how it got started uh, at simultaneously, you know, maybe a year and a half into writing about this is when Guarsenio Hall slash Jordan Olds was like, Hey, you and your drag queen friends all watch wrestling. I think that's hilarious. Can we film you? And then that's how the show started. So it was kind of simultaneous uh, when I started writing about it and when the show started. No, that's, that's interesting actually to, to see that those things kind of really coincided with one another. And, and honestly like that, analytical perspective from from a cultural pop a pop culture lens is definitely something that was missing at that time in a lot of ways because like, like you said you bring up Meltzer and, and you know Cornette um and and those voices that um really took a in some ways took an analytical eye to it but it was always through the lens of like tv ratings and match quality yeah 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 and it's, yeah. it's to anyone who's not in wrestling they're unlistenable, they're unreadable, they're in, uh, incoherent. It's, it's no one is writing about this for people who are just like kind of scrolling through a fashion blog, you know, like yeah. there, there is so, not no one is, no one was, now people are. There's a lot of people now and they're underpaid and they should get paid more. And I'm gonna say that like 900 times throughout this. Oh no, say it as many times as you want, trust me. Like if that, that feeling is very, very mutual <laughs> yeah. on, on, this, on this call. Um, no, but like, so I guess talk to me about like the beginnings of, of the nobody's watching wrestling in a way. Cause like, it seems like it came from a place of like, you know, someone that, like thought it was funny that y'all were into pro wrestling and started recording y'all talking about it. And there's a lot of humor in, in, in the presentation of, the, of that show, which, you know, I think is part of what draws people into it as well. Mm. But I mean, y'all also like drop some like serious, like critical bombs on there at times sure. too. You know, and, and I just, I don't, there's something about that mixture there that, um, that really works for me. And I think that you don't necessarily get that without having the experience that you and, and the rest of the crew had in the drag world. I think a lot of that kind of translates. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the perspective of kind of humorous, but also critical, it, we didn't plan that to be clear, <laughs> like literally like you know, Jordan, who is like the creative mind behind Two Minutes to Late Night with which for your listeners, if they don't know, is like a death metal comedy show. And so he's he's a comedian and does like all kinds of weird sketch comedy. I don't understand comedy. Like, it's not really my thing, but whatever. So, and he loves drag. Like, unironically, he's a straight guy who loves drag. He knows about every, he's watched every season of Drag Race. So like, he, it was not coming from a, like, he was laughing at us kind of view at all. It was like, he's like, you guys are funnier than 90% of the comedians. 
I know. And we're like, yes, that's always true. Correct. Comedians aren't very funny. <laughs> and so he did it. You know, when when he came over, me and Ariel and Berica had been doing shows together for, I think, like two years at that point. So we were so used to kind of bantering in front of an audience and, you know, like we had a good rapport with each other. We did this show called Nobody's Talking Shit, which was um, no one ever came to it. It was like, you know, five people on a good night on a Monday night in a punk bar in Bushwick. But like the concept of the show would be like we pick a theme and then we just like kind of ramble about the theme. It's kind of it was it, it might have happened around the same time as like Trixie and Katya starting, uh, which is their show where they do the same thing. So we had done like a wrestling episode of Nobody's Talking Shit that like no one came to. Um, so we were like, we were in the practice of kind of picking a topic and then just dissecting it from every angle possible, but also just kind of talking shit and also being drunk and high at the same time. So like when Jordan came and filmed it, we, none of that was scripted, obviously. It was literally all just like, I was drunk and stone. Berica was definitely on something. Ariel was on 18 cups of coffee and probably drunk. So like, we literally did not think anyone would watch it. We thought Jordan was a lunatic for even thinking that anyone would find this funny. We expected him to show up with his iPhone to film a, like a five minute segment, but he showed up with a whole camera crew. Mm. So that was already confusing to us. That's why I like that episode, the first episode actually looks kind of good. I mean, the color correction's all wrong, but we were just like, <laughs> we were like not expecting anything from it. We were literally expecting Jordan to show up with an iPhone. So he filmed it and then one day after it gets released, it has 30,000 views. So like it took off immediately, but the, the kind of analytic humorous style was not a conscious de decision. It was literally just us carrying, like we're just sitting there and carrying. So, I mean, that's just how we talk to each other. I don't know. No, I mean, I think it speaks to the personalities, honestly. It speaks to the, and the chemistry that, that you three have, you know, like to, to be able to have that just kind of happen organically. And it, it also shows that, you know, that you don't have to like turn your brain off when it comes to talking about these things either. Cause I think a lot of, a lot of people, like I've seen a lot of people talk about like, you, you're thinking about this too much. You're reading mm -hmm. too much into the, mm -hmm. these things mm -hmm. and the sort of thing, but, but what else do you, are you supposed to do with art? If not, right. if not like read into it and, and, and dissect it in that way and figure out how it makes you feel and, and how it makes you want to respond to it. Well, that also comes from like the, the, like, you know, we, the three of us had been in the drag world for so long where conversations about like gender presentation and, um, you know, like the ideology of aesthetic, you know, but done in a kind of a drunk way, like that's just commonplace in the drag world. So, but it's not, it, or it was not in wrestling at the time. So I think there was a lot of that reaction at first. I think nowadays more people are willing to like sit down. I mean, there's like, you know, Twitter fights about like the different, like like the, the discourse, whatever that means has evolved since, you know, the five years ago when we started it. So yeah, I, I yeah, I hear what you're saying. Though. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely recognize that that evolution as well. And dear God, I, I'm over the discourse, I, th I think. Right. At the times. <laughs> But but no, I, I don't know. It, it was really interesting to, to kind of watch that show develop. And like whenever I came into it, I think um, and, and initially found nobody's watching wrestling like it. 
it opened up an entirely different like way of being able to look at pro wrestling because like i'll be real like i watched like one season of drag race before i did that because I've, I've never been like you know i've been interested in the drag world but i've never really like delved deep into it it's just never really been my my thing per se but there was it was almost like the melding of those two in a way that that made it that made that more accessible to me but also like showed me that pro wrestling could be taken through an lgbtq lens in a way that is actually like super interesting as compared to how pro wrestling has viewed lgbtq people for its its entire history <laughs> right i mean it's you know like the it, it kind of felt like uh punching back at a culture that had always made fun of us you know oh, yeah. like what if the tables were turned and like we actually got to make fun of you for a little bit and people obviously really responded to it when did you feel like like people were responding to it like, well, well the first well, episode like i yeah. mean we, we like me and Berica were at straight to dvd which is like our kind of like drag nieces show it's christ almighty heaven ender dj 10 yards and sherry poppins and they put on like a very like all of them have been affiliated with the nobodies they're kind of like our cousins in in the brooklyn drag world so we were at their show and me and berica were just sitting there like i don't think you understand we literally thought this would get 10 views like <laughs> maybe a <laughs> hundred if what some of our drag we thought like our friends would share it but so we're sitting there at this show and every time we're refreshing our phones, there's another 6,000 views. And we're like, what the fuck is going on? So like, that was when we really like, we were like, oh, like this, people actually wanted that. Like from the first episode. Mm. So it's obviously starts to gain some popularity here and there. Um, whatever you realize that there are, there is an audience for this. Like, are there any specific topics or matches or, or or people that you want to focus that that come to your mind that you wanted to focus on whenever you realize like okay this is something that people are responding to what can we do with this well i think like i mean honestly effie was the first person that we were like oh wow this is like really happening now huh like you know like because there hadn't been sort of a flamboyantly gay i mean sunny was we knew Sunny was around, but we weren't as aware of the indie wrestling world at that point. So like Effie was just starting to break through in certain ways and he had a similar kind of zany, <laughs> meth-adled brain. Like, you know, like, he, like, so we just like felt an immediate kinship with him. And so like when we saw him starting to succeed, that's when it started feeling like, okay, there's like a whole scene developing. Um, Sunny too, obviously, but for whatever reason, we just, I mean, this doesn't, I hope this doesn't sound shady because it's not, we just didn't like connect with her, you know, like we just weren't in the same place at the same time almost. Like it wasn't even a matter of an aesthetic connection. It was just like, we happened to find ourselves at a bunch of shows with Effie and we were like, oh, you're this, you're the thing. You're like the thing that we wished wrestling was. Yeah. How much did the the emergence of the No Ring Deathmatch stuff kind of factor into that too? Because like, you talk about like Effie kind of breaking through. Obviously, Effie is in like the more traditional wrestling uh, presentations as well. But like the first time I ever saw Effie was a no ring death match against Casanova Valentine in Brooklyn. And was I, I feel DJing that? You might have actually. <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> but 
that that emergence of the No Ring Deathmatch world, like through through Casanova, really, like Casanova is the pioneer of that in, in a lot of ways. Um, I think provided an environment for for people. You know, when we've talked about this with, with no with No Ring Deathmatch stuff before. That you know, it provides a more accessible way for people to kind of get into pro wrestling and see it in a different way, um, and and explore it a bit more coming out of that. But I think that also speaks to like some of the the people that Casanova was doing that with, because like I, you know, MB Young and and Effie, and even like it's down the line, Edith Surreal being in one of those matches, Billy Dixon mm. being in those matches, mm. like it it speaks to um, kind of another way of opening that door for people. Were were you kind of was that something that came on your radar as as y'all were doing the show? Like how did y'all end yeah. up waking up with Casanova? I don't even remember, to be honest. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like maybe Casanova was in the background, of, like in the, like had come to an A Matter of Pride show just to hang out and we were doing something with A Matter of Pride. I really don't even remember, but yeah, I mean, to Casanova's credit, Casanova um, was from the start, just like, you want to fight to the death, let's go. Like he didn't, he didn't have any kind of uh, hangups about, any kind of sexuality or gender, anything. He just was like, let's all have a party and hang out. Like he did not give a fuck. I mean, Casanova is also like a huge drag fan. Casanova loved, Casanova used to date a mixed nobody finalist, uh, Reagan Holiday, who's hmm. one of my favorite drag artists of all time. And we didn't even know that when we started hanging out, like that came out after us, like, I don't even remember how it came up, but I was like, oh my God, like these scenes are more weirdly interwoven than like we even realized so i yeah casanova should get a lot of credit for really opening up a lot of opportunities in the indie world for people who like would not have gotten featured and to make them look tough you know he wasn't it wasn't like casanova wasn't telling anyone to do kiss spots or i mean effie was always doing kiss spots but yeah in an effie way but like it, it was like you know these were competitors just like you know the grizzled dudes with like barbed wire scars everywhere you know like it was not he did not treat anyone any differently and then he hired me as a dj and then that brought a sort of different vibe and aesthetic to it because i was showing up and playing ballroom music at uh, right next to a bunch of bands playing like sludge metal and like you know actually the two work fine together <laughs> no they they really do <laughs> like it's it's amazing to see how whenever you do like put other um like called the entertainment cultures it, together with pro wrestling how easily they mesh i feel like it's a very very malleable thing that a good amount of people that enjoy pro wrestling don't necessarily think about it being that way right right yeah, like it's like there's also like a whole kind of like you know I think like Lucha Vavum and out in LA like does yes. like Alaskan wrestling shows, and there are people who follow Lucha Vavum who go to every single show who think it's the best thing they've ever seen, and they don't give a fuck about you know WWE <laughs> or indie wrestling. You know, like they like that thing because it's more than one thing. But yeah. there's just you know like as I'm sure, and it's becoming less the case, but there are. There, the wrestling industry has a very weird, bizarro idea of how, what a wrestling show is, and they they don't always do the best job of thinking outside of that. Um, but there are, you know, I think Party World Wrestling in uh, Austin, Texas. I think what Dark Sheik was doing uh, or is doing with Hood Slam. You know, there are these kinds of more 
hybrid shows that have always attracted LGBTQ people and, you know, Casanova shows are included in those. Oh, for sure. And, and of course, you can't really talk about that without talking about Hood Slam. I think that's like, that is one of the, like, the progenitors of that sort of mixture in, in a way like for as long as they've been doing it and as long as Sheik has been running that. And I'm excited to see that they've announced a, a, their, their comeback show after their comeback show last year. Mm. So they're, they're coming back in March. That's going to be awesome to see. Where is um, that out there? Yeah, it's in Oakland. Yeah. Cool. So I, that's that's going to be – I I want Hood Slam to run as, as much as they can. Um, and now I like seeing what also what's going on down in, in at Fest Wrestling in Florida. Obviously mm. another epi stomping ground there. But you have that state – another place where that mixture of like, you know, punk culture and, and punk music – the mixing with pro wrestling as well with the events that they run, you know, whenever they do court and stuff. So I like, I, I want more of this mixture to happen. I want like um, what we saw at Paris is bumping where right. we have, you know, juicy couture coming out and, and doing a Vogue in the middle of a wrestling show and getting the response that juicy couture got. Right. It's- yeah. It's, it's hard though, because wrestling people like, and it's and it goes both ways because there's like the I don't know if you know about Chokehold, which is a drag wrestling show. I've that, heard of them, yes. Yeah, they're cool. I like them. Hugo Girl runs them, and I think she's an amazing graffiti artist and you know, whatever. But they don't really like they're a drag wrestling show, but they don't really know anything about real wrestling. And then like a real wrestling, like uh, like sometimes wrestling shows will come around. And they're like, oh yeah, we want to be LGBT. We'll hire a drag queen or two. But they don't hire drag queens who know about wrestling. You know, like they're like there's like a weird kind of talking past each other always going on. And it's 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 always so funny because it's like, why wouldn't you just Google like drag wrestling and find the drag queens who know? Like I don't know. But um, but yeah, I wish there were more of both. And and I obviously think those are the most fun shows and attract the most fun audiences. But it's you know, there is always like a sort of like the drag queens are in the drag world, the wrestling queens are in the wrestling world. And, you know, like the, the, the amount and willingness and time it takes to understand both worlds and kind of meld them. People aren't willing or interested or don't have the time or money or budget to like really kind of investigate what it would look like to make them properly overlap. And it's like, you know, the same thing with like how like Paris is bumping is now two shows deep and like, we don't have, we had promised Juicy Couture and, but like what ballroom queen would really want to do a wrestling show, you know? Because why would they assume that a wrestling audience would treat them right? You know, like they, like why would a wrestling person have any interest in ballroom unless they've kind of been following that discourse, sub discourse of, of the intersections between those things. So it's, it's like, I do get it, but it, it, there is a sort of like, everyone's in their little silos. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely bubbles still, you know, and, but I feel like, you know, the more these things cross over, the more that people see how these two things can meld, hopefully those can have a bit more of an intersection and, and, we, and we see more of that. I'm glad you brought up Chokehold because that was, I was introduced to, to them through the, the uh, episode that y'all did mm-hmm. on them. And I have to say, I am here for some out there bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> and, that was some and, out there bullshit. For sure. How did how did you find out about 
truffle. And and how well, does we, that people have just been messaging us about them from the second we started, and they're like, y'all should do something with them. And we, you know, we we did our best, but they they you know drag queens are very territorial, just like wrestling queens. So yes. like you know they were kind of like, oh, you do drag and wrestling? Okay, have a good time with that. You know, like so, <laughs> like they they weren't so interested in a collaboration, and that's fine. You know, they they're very very successful. They're probably more successful than the nobodies are. Every single one of their shows sells out. They're extremely spectacular. They're so insane and strange. So, you know, they're doing their thing. But were they interested in really collaborating with any real wrestlers? No. Were they interested in collaborating with us? Not really. You know, like, that's, yeah. and that's, that is not shade. You know, like, they're, they're, they're doing great. Yeah. No, it's just, it was just a really interesting idea. And I, I liken that to something like Kaiju Big Battle, where you're taking the idea of pro wrestling to its, like, most ridiculous end in a way yeah. um and i don't know or there's... there's like uh the tasselmania shows that bunny buxom yes. does which yes. are incredible incredible but bunny of course is like a wrestling fanatic you know like bunny is like a crazy person and writes out storylines three years in advance of her oh, wow. like, burlesque shows so you know like they're like she it's that is not the same situation as joe cole like she <laughs> fully knows her shit yeah no, that's that's wild. I haven't I haven't looked. In, I have to, okay, you're giving me stuff to look into now. I'm into it. <laughs> um, so can I get in back to 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 the nobodies and and what y'all were doing? Like the YouTube channel starts you know, pulling in people and you started getting guests. And RJ City, mm -hmm. I am I obviously like he is a doll and he is loved by so many. How did y'all end up? Uh, linking up with, with RJ. I think that was Sarah Shockey's doing from uh, Marty and Sarah Love Wrestling, who like me and Sarah, like the second we started talking to each other, we we're like, oh, you're like, we are like, she is the light to my darkness. So like <laughs> we are yin and yang, like where she is like, joy is literally her middle name. And like, you know, misery is probably mine. Like, so like, we just, we instantly bonded. And so she was just like, you know, my bot RJ City is going to be in town. You absolutely have to do something. I think that's what happened. Or maybe he reached out to us. I don't even remember anymore. But, you know, obviously, the second we all met up, it was like instant magic because RJ, like, is a drag queen. Like, and like, he's just got this whole kind of bizarro postmodern energy of like, the most self-aware wrestler you know like it just kind of fit into the the universe of the nobodies and and this bizarre kind of arty maniacal john waters-esque world so it, it like yeah there was an instant connection there obviously no i i liked how you describe it because it fits it to a t in a way and and i will say like anytime that that rj shows up on on a nobody's project like it it does add a a different kind of uh a different kind of chaos yes. to it yes. <laughs> but uh, i don't know it's just it's just so wild to see like how many people that y'all have had the chance to to speak to and the different personalities and different uh perspectives on pro wrestling that, that of the people that you've had on on the show um, is there anyone yeah, that I mean, was... it's gotten to the point where it, like, it feels like I, I, when I do turn on wrestling these days, I'm like, oh, we interviewed them. We did a show with them. They were at one of our shows. Oh, they were it, like, you know, like they were it, they were a judge at our, you know, like it's, it's very weird that like, you know, it's like the next generation rising and it's like all of our friends now, 
Yeah. I want talk to me about the the mixed nobody uh, shows uh, because uh, obviously we have to talk about Brody King when it comes to that. But I want to talk about like uh, overall the idea behind putting that together. Like obviously that come that idea it felt like to me came from from the drag world as well. Yeah, that had nothing to do with wrestling. We were doing that way before we started any of the wrestling stuff. I mean, Casanova was a judge for us. I think we had one other wrestler as a judge. You know, if if slash when we do it again, I want like Edith as a judge, probably. You know, like I I want the girls. Um, But yeah, we we there were all kinds of pageants in I mean, and drag competitions in New York. At the time, there was Miss BK. There was something called Dragnet and it's it was they were very much um the cool kids pageants you know like they were you know it was uh, it always whether it was or wasn't it always felt a little nepotistic to us like the girls who were judges were always making their friends the winners and you know like it it was also all queens it was it was not kings it was not things it was not monsters so the idea of the nobodies doing the pageant was just like there were no themes, there were no rules. You bring whatever kind of drag you want and that's it. You know, like it, it was supposed to be the most free expression of drag possible of everyone bringing their own bizarro art to the, the, the competition. And then that's what it turned into. And it, it's one of, you know, everyone, it was, it was a little, I mean, this is just the way things go, but like Alaska Thunderfuck, who is one of the most beloved drag race champions in the history of the show, did a uh, an all-inclusive, all-gender drag pageant like five years after Mixed Nobody. And everyone was writing about it. Like, this is the first all-inclusive. And I was like, no, it isn't. Like, it is. And we weren't the first, I'm sure. I don't know about ones before us. So that was kind of the idea of it. I mean, there were the first year of uh, the pageant, there were performances ranging from Candy Muse who got second place in the last season of Drag Race who used to be a bearded queen doing like a full choreographed dance number with her mother Aja to you know uh, a drag queen named Jan Epstein who did a PowerPoint presentation about how she assassinated JFK like you know it was full-on nightmare weirdo drag and the, the winner of the first year was Elle McQueen who is, um, I believe she still identifies as a cisgender woman. And the I, it w- people could not believe that we made her the winner of that year. Like it, that was unheard of at the time that a cisgender woman could win, you know, an underground drag pageant even. So it was, you know, I don't want to like toot my own horn too much, but it was a pretty, in my opinion, groundbreaking show. And, you know, the, the, the people who are, who have, um, come out of that show are very, very successful drag performers right now. You know, Pinwheel Pinwheel is the costumer on Drag Race right now. She was the winner of, of kind of season three of, of Mix Nobody. Qualms Galore, who won season two, is one of the most beloved burlesque artists in New York right now. So, I, you know, like it's, it, we called it Mix Nobody always as a tongue-in-cheek thing, but it weirdly did produce some of the most, you know, there's been multiple, Dahlia Sin was on Drag Race. I mean, Erica Clash was on uh dragula like it's it's similar to the world of wrestling these people have sort of risen into more prominent roles in the worlds that they're in it's almost like it's to put a wrestling analogy on it it's almost like the indie like yeah exactly (laughs) exactly
Alright, Yens. Thank you so much for tuning in to LGBT in the Ring. Um, we'll get right back into the thick of things, but I do want to take a pause real quick and say thank you to some amazing people that make this show as rad as it is. Starting off with Daniel Quasar, the Progress Pride Black designed by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at Quasar.digital. A big thank you to Sarah in the Safe Word for the show's theme song, Formula 666, off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSW Band, and you can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Um, check out independentwrestling.tv for the best in current and classic independent pro wrestling, including live events from top independent promotions worldwide. Uh, you can use our promo code LGBTRingPod or visit tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and peruse their entire library uh, over there at independentwrestling.tv. Once again, promo code LGBTRingPod or go to tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT check out that service uh, you can follow the show on twitter at lgbt ringpod you can follow me on twitter at wonderboyotm and if you're into video games definitely check out my video game news show the mr video game super show i co-host that with uh, twitch streamers slacker kite and lady Merwin every monday at 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific over on twitch.tv slash dead sun entertainment uh, it's your weekly roundup of gaming news, uh, and it's always a blast. So once again, check that out every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, over at twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Sun like the star. We'll be right back with more LGBT in the ring. No, and I really... I, honestly, whenever whenever I saw that, that pageant like start to like pop, like emerge and everything like i felt the same way i felt very progressive just even down to the name honestly mm -hmm. because so many of these things still have that that gendered idea when it comes to this and, and you know it, that's definitely you you can speak more to this than me but from like from an outsider's perspective like it seems like that's starting to change a bit more in the drag world but there's still sure, i mean it's it's like it's so weird because like i'm not a historian obviously but when I was like first starting to go to drag shows, there were always drag kings, burlesque dancers, drag queens, weirdo club kids, arty girl. Like it was always all a mix. And then drag race happened. Mm. And then that's when it started being divided into like, okay, is this a drag show or is this a man dressed as a woman show? You know, like it's yeah. like it. So I do think that there was like sort of a change when drag race happened where suddenly all these people thought they knew what drag was from watching the TV show. So then people who watch drag race would make competitions or make their own shows. And they thought drag was man dressed as woman, which it never really was before drag race. Yeah. So it's like, there's a kind of anachronism going on where it's like, yes, our show was all inclusive, but shows before drag race were all like, you know, you look at like the old dreamlanders doing weirdo punk drag back in the like sixties and seventies. And they, it was always all kinds of genders. They might not have been called non-binary or whatever back then, but it was always, all kinds of weirdo artists. Do you feel like, like with the emergence of, of drag race and, and you're talking about like the, the, the changing of the idea of what drag is in a way to people, especially people outside of drag culture, do you feel like that has kind of, um, I guess, like altered the scene a bit uh, uh, yes. now? Yes. And, and in what way? Now you have a whole new generation of, you know, 
19, 20, 21 year old drag people whose first exposure to drag was drag race. Yeah. You know, and they think that drag race is drag and they think, okay, well, drag race has never had a trans woman on it. So why would my show have a trans woman on it? You know, like there's a whole new generation of kids who their first ever drag queens were on television. And that was not the case when, before the show existed for older people. Yeah. No, I, I think like knowing, like see, hearing that kind of brings me back to that first Butch versus Score show and seeing them open with a draft performance, but it's specifically being drag kings. Kings, yeah. Speaks to, uh, I don't know, that makes it that feel a bit more significant. It already felt significant, honestly. I mean, what, what about that show didn't? But like, it's one of those things where um, like seeing that commitment to the, authenticity of, of the history of drag even if it's just one performance where you are actually putting out some an identity or a presentation that's not like we saw drag race and now mm. we're doing mm. this like i don't mm. know like that was that makes me like look at that in a in a new way now also because mm. mm. like because like, like i said like drag i haven't necessarily been in that world a lot i it's, it's i'm curious about it i look into it here and there but you know a lot of my one-to-one interaction with that comes through like how pro wrestling interacts with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so to see, to see that pro wrestling is willing to like, you know, actually like look at the definite, like how drag is defined outside of what the pop culture lens puts on it makes me feel, makes me feel good about how pro wrestling can uh, interact with, with that world, but also how the people that are running shows like Butch versus score or whatever you have the LGBTQ people that are in the production and the creative roles there, how they like understand these these um, spheres a bit right. more than than people that are just like you know if you're like a straight a straight cis person running right. a, a show and wanting to do a pride show and like oh well let's get a drag queen on it right right you know? yeah I mean Billy knows her history probably better than anyone else oh age, lord for sure yes. like <laughs> Billy knows. Billy knows all of the controversies in the drag scene. Billy knows all of the politics of it. So, you know, I trust Billy more than I trust anyone to make smart decisions like that. And it obviously shone through with just the simple decision of like, all right, a drag king show. Is that kind of, is that something that, that you found whenever you started to kind of get to know Billy? Or was that something that, that you and Billy kind of drew together? Because like, y'all's well, relationship Billy, goes back. Yeah, the- no, no, no. Billy, Billy from the second I met her was just like, you know, again, it was like instant, like we, we clicked and we were kikiing and, you know, like, you know, so yeah, Billy's, Billy's had that knowledge since the second I, I know her. Uh, yeah. Is that why y'all work so well together? Because like, it seems like anytime so. Billy does a show, you're there. Yeah, I mean, me and Billy, Billy is like a a really dear sister to me. And I I think Billy trusts me to not act a fool and to not not do something politically stupid and not pick a fight with someone. And, you know, I, I, that that trust is really meaningful to me. There, Billy would have every right to be suspicious of me as this, you know, gentrifying white queer and Billy's trusted me to not be like that for as long as we've known each other. And I, I really respect and appreciate that. It's interesting you bring up like the the idea of the, the gentrifying white queer because I honestly like that plays into like the one time that I saw you get in the ring a little bit. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, it's our, I mean, 
obviously, like that whole storyline with Billy and Effie um, leading to that that street fight, the finger quotes on on that. For, um, really, I don't know. It was one of the first examples that I saw of like telling an explicitly queer story in pro wrestling that didn't like amount to a lot of the um, stereotypical ideas or or portrayals that we've seen in pro wrestling a lot. And it spoke to a, an issue that, you know, goes beyond the boundaries of pro wrestling when it comes to, you know, like queer black erasure and that sort of stuff. Talk to me a little bit about, about like working with, with Billy and Effie in that context and how you ended up in the ring during that match. Please. I think it was just, it was, it was not that deep to be honest. <laughs> it was truly just us like, carrying like we just thought it would be a gag like it was not you know of course in retrospect and as it was happening I was like oh there's like a lot of layers to this huh but like when we were doing it like you know I'm sitting back there and Billy like was like yo come here come here come here and I'm like in backstage like kikiing with Verica and she's like do you want to do a stunner and I was like okay, I guess <laughs> sure like it was not yeah so I Yes, in and this is how art works. You can do all kinds of analysis post hoc, and it it makes all kinds of sense, and it's very interesting. But it was not that deep in the moment. No, <laughs> I I've been accused of like reading too much into stuff. So well, I mean, look, <laughs> I don't think I don't think it's wrong at all. I I think yeah. that is most art is like that, where it's created in a kind of I don't know flow state or whatever, where people are just kind of vibing with each other, and then after the fact, it takes on all kinds of meanings that might have been seen before. So I don't agree with that you're reading too much into it. It's just that was not our intention at the time. But in yeah. retrospect, yeah, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> now, obviously, like a lot of people that get into pro wrestling to the point that it's part of their their career um, has that deep love of pro wrestling. And when it comes, when, and when you have that, I feel like everyone, at least at some point in their life that has it, had some desire to get into the ring in some way did that did you ever have no. a desire no. okay no i, I i'm I, small I love that. i'm i'm <laughs> weak i don't like physical activity i don't like being hurt i hate pain no the answer is no <laughs> no it makes it makes sense i it's just i don't know it was just interesting it's the same thing as like people are like well you've dj drag shows your whole life do you want to get into drag and i was like same reasons no like yeah. it's like i do not want to be in pain like i decided to be a dj and a writer because it's not like no the answer is no yeah no it, it makes sense honestly i mean who i mean i don't necessarily want to to be in pain either so i get it <laughs> I, I like that kind of like detour there for, for a minute but i want to get back because i did want to ask you about brody king's involvement mm -hmm. with x nobody especially as like the nobody's watching wrestling stuff started to, to gain a lot of traction because i feel like brody's involvement there was a amazing and and b um really opened the eyes to a lot of pro wrestling fans that weren't engaged with with that to see brody as someone who was involved in that how how did that relationship with brody start begin and and how did you end up getting him into the the, the pageant um so me and brody were on a show together where i was doing commentary i believe it was a battle club or a wrestler's lab show and um because we were on the show we together beforehand, we had uh, followed each other on Twitter. And then um, 
he saw me tweeting about drag race and then like tweeted back some like drag race hot takes essentially and i was like <laughs> who's this queen over here and then you know we after the show i was a little intimidated by him because he's seven times my size and he like he like we're like you know everyone's cleaning up and the crowd is leaving and he's like yo 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 come here for a second and i was like what's up and he's like okay so i know drag queens are a thing but are drag kings a thing? And then I, we, and then we just instantly got into it and talked about it forever. And he told me, I, I, I think he's talked about this publicly since, but he actually was a cameraman on Drag Race. Like, oh, really? Like five or six or like for a few seasons. So huh. he's like, yeah, it's just like wrestling. Like there's its own language. They have their own like little subculture. There's their their own superstitions. It's It's exactly the same as wrestling. And so we just kept in touch after that. And then he was going to be in New York the night that the Gay Young Classic was. We made it work. I kind of didn't believe it was happening until he showed up. Like the whole time I was like, he's going to bail. He's going to bail. And he's the nicest person in the world. I don't know if he's a heel in AEW right now. So maybe I'm blowing up his spot, but he's literally the nicest person in the world. He came after Madison Square Garden. He shows up at Madison Square Garden. He shows up at this like shitty fucking gay bar on the Lower East Side. And he's like, I was so much scareder for this than I was for MSG. And I was like, <laughs> that is stupid. And he fucking killed it. I keep meaning to reshare that um, the lip sync with him and I think it's Richard DeCocco, who is one of the best drag kings in all of New York. And it's one of the funniest. I, I matched him specifically with a drag king because our first conversation ever was him asking about drag kings. And I was like, all right, here we go. You're going to meet one of the best right now and you're going to battle. <laughs> it was, I do, do, do share that again, because like that, that, that moment was like really, really interesting to me. And I don't want to get him in trouble, though. I don't know what is like, you know, uh, I don't know. It, we'll see if he tells yeah. me to take it down. I'll take it down. <laughs> no, but I, I really I, it speaks to the continued like melding of, of these worlds in a way to, to see that. I had no idea that he was a cameraman on on Drag Race, too, which, you know, it, I just like that the, the mixing of not just when it not just Dragon Pro Wrestling, but like all of these different cultures are coming together to kind of create this this amalgam that that we're seeing that really gives a lot of people entryways into different things that really i mean let's be real for the longest time felt a bit like outside of their purview or mm -hmm. they were scared to to delve into these things because you know it can be scary to like jump whole like headlong into a completely different subculture Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah I mean it's it's I was just talking about to someone this to someone the other day it's it's funny because when I started like going out when I was like a teenager like every subculture was very 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 separate and when I was like a raver as a 15 year old and I went into the city to go to raves I was told like be careful of the punks they'll beat your ass you know like they're like the subcultures all used to be much more divided and it's probably because of the internet, but everything is slowly sort of forming one kind of mono subculture, which is good in some ways and bad in others, uh, because you lose certain kind of distinct cultural markers and a shared history becomes harder. But these days, it's it's all just more amalgus. Uh, you know, maybe it's also because the mainstream is so much more totalizing and it's encompassed everything. And now nerd culture is in in the forefront, so it takes an even weirder and more 
strong, like a, a stronger effort to resist certain kinds of appropriation into the mainstream, but everything gets appropriated eventually. I don't know. It, it's, it's an interesting moment in sort of subculture history because what is a subculture anymore? Are all subcultures one subculture? You know, we don't have the same kind of factional battles that we used to have where ravers were fighting punks or mods were fighting whatever. You know, like it, it just doesn't exist like that anymore. Everyone's just tweeting at each other instead. Yeah. And like, you know, not necessarily to like tie that completely to back to pro wrestling, but we're seeing that in pro wrestling too. Like all this talk for about the forbidden door for as much as we don't necessarily want, like that term is like losing all meaning at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, but like, you know, all of that stuff that happened over the past year, Mickey James is be, is in the Royal Rumble this year. Like, mm -hmm. just like you're seeing these, these bleed overs between a lot of the major pro wrestling companies and, and a lot of the independent world too in a way that I think speaks to the, the exact same way you characterize how we're seeing subcultures sort of kind of meld together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess so, that's from like a business perspective though. It is. You know, like they are realizing that the Indies are profitable so they have to do it. I mean, I guess it's similar. I don't know. I mean, there's like a, like a tinge of like, just from like outside, like taking the business part out of it. I, you know, in my heart of hearts, I never thought I would see like the impact knockouts champion on a WWE event. Right, sure. You know, yeah. so like in that way, like I think it does. But yes, you're right. There's definitely much more of a Is business. Is she going to be like holding the belt? When she said she was. Fascinating. She said Fascinating. she was. So we'll see. But, but, but like you said, it does, there is that business aspect that is that heavily influences that when it comes to pro wrestling. Mm. And you don't necessarily get as heavy of an influence when it comes to like subculture mm. and, and those sort of things there. Um, what has it been like for you where in covering pro wrestling in, in the way that you do to kind of interact with that business mindset that pro wrestling has? Cause like so many people still describe it. You know, I don't like using the term industry, but it is like a good shorthand. At no, it's an industry. I mean, yeah. I think people would be deluding themselves to only call it an art form. It's a very commercial industry, you know, yeah. like it's, it's certainly wrestling. People don't think of it a lot of them still don't think of it really as art, you know, like they're thinking of it as marks and workers, you know, like it's so, <laughs> I, I do think of it as a business and, and it's been interesting because like, I don't have any background in marketing, but like, you know, you have to learn a little bit about that when you're a blogger for 10 years. So, you know, like uh, to only think of it as some kind of like expression of the human condition, I think is naive and ignorant when like at the end of the day, you know, everyone's here to make money and you could say that about all art and that's not wrong but I, wrestling is often crassly capitalistic it is not uh especially on television wrestling the indies less so obviously but if you are talking about the industry as a whole it is a business i do think that that's true and i think the wrestling you know like uh, i when I think about the state of like wrestling journalism, whatever that even means, you know, I don't understand how anyone can make money doing it right now, considering the economic conditions of the digital media industry and the digital media business. So it's, it's yes, I would love to be writing about wrestling right now, but ain't no one paying for it. Yeah, no, I, I completely under, understand that. I really do. And, and also, I, I will say I am thankful of how boisterous the, the, uh, you have been about that, not just when it comes to 
wrestling, but just in general with the, the digital media landscape that we see right now. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, that's something, you know, through, through doing these, like, interviews for, for this, like, journal January theme month thing that I do, like, that topic has come up a number of times because it's something that affects all of us that are in the, this world, you know. Like, I mean, look, the digital media industry is in a full-on collapse right now. I, yeah. Every single magazine that I have ever written for has fired their staff and hired a bunch of 23-year-olds. You know, like, this is not, there is no real digital media industry anymore. It has been taken over by SEO-driven, you know, uh, editorial teams who do not care about quality of content. They want certain buzzwords in the headlines, and they want it to get a certain amount of page clicks, and it doesn't matter what the words actually are. So, you know, if that's the attitude, then, then and, and it is, and there isn't going to be, and I don't think there will for very much long longer, be a real digital media industry. Mm-hmm. Is that one of the things that kind of led you to, to form judgment um, alongside absolutely absolutely there? yeah I, I I mean I was writing for I don't want to name names because that's just like shady but I was writing for at least you know six seven different magazines digital magazines real magazines where I was working with a really great editor I was paid a really good amount I was allowed to pitch what I want I was given good feedback and then one by one by one the editors are fired and replaced with 22 year olds who don't know what they're doing. And I was told, we're not really interested in editorial articles. We need you to do listicles. Uh, I, I was told, you know, we hired an intern to do that kind of work because it's cheaper. You know, there were no opportunities left. Um, And I don't have the time or energy to, be pitching 500 magazines with 500 different pitches to get assigned an article for $100 for 2,000 words. So I had to come up with something else that would make me actual money because there was no other option. There, these, these magazines are not hiring real writers anymore. They're hiring kids fresh out of college who can write you know, for less than five cents a word. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're not you're not wrong, and, and I think that does end up pushing people to kind of create new spaces in that way. And also, it can it, I like the freedom that it's giving you as well because like you're not just writing about wrestling. I would say you write about like horror and and other like other like pe- like sectors of entertainment or culture more so than wrestling. On, on yeah, there I, now. I've been doing a lot of fashion writing, which I really love. But yeah. like again, like there you know, to try and pitch to like an actual website, like they're not interested right now. They don't yeah. want an article about like, you know, 2000 words on one hoodie because that's not great for SEO. <laughs> no, I, I understand that, but I, I just, I can appreciate like exploring that freedom that you do have by like doing your own thing in that way. Um, it and sucks because like Substack's like not a good company either. Like I don't isn't. feel good about, I don't feel good about it, you know, like, yeah. but what is my, I don't have other options right now in terms of my freelancing. Exactly. No, I mean, you have to take it where you can get it. And like, I really, I mean, I have no hopes that Substack is going to like change their ethics no, or anything like that, because like, that's, that's a, that's a, a dead end road to try and think that way. Yeah. Well, the stuff you just, you take what you can get from what they give you. And then hopefully that helps you to, keep furthering that down the line but um i don't know i reading the reading judgment though and and what you and and um your partner there whose name escapes me at the moment 
Um, uh, Tom Bloom. Tom Bloom, yes, yes. Um, what y'all have done with that is really, really interesting, um, especially because I, I, I like horror a lot, and I, I really like whenever y'all talk about a genre film there as well. I really like the Suspiria piece <laughs> that, uh, that you wrote a while back. Yes, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom yeah. did that Suspiria. Yeah, that one yeah. was... Yeah, Tom is like... <laughs> Tom's been my friend for like 15 years and Tom is like literally like a professional fortune teller. So their perspective on everything is extremely interesting from like a weird, but also just a great, they're a great writer period. Yeah. So <laughs> No, I just, I like that, that y'all have this freedom though, that, that y'all created this freedom for yourselves to kind of explore these things and talk about what's interesting to you, because I feel like what's lost in this like reshaping of, digital media, the downfall of digital media is that like some of the most engrossing stuff and, and things that pull people towards certain writers or certain creators is that ability to like zero in on something that you're like incredibly interested in and talk about it at length in a way that just like completely deconstructs it uh, mm. or completely like encapsulates it for somebody who might be not doesn't maybe doesn't have that same interest, but is always here to like listen to someone talk about something that they are extremely interested in yeah i mean i my favorite writing is reading about someone who has like a super nerdy interest and just like explaining it because like i'm so fucking nerdy that like i love like if any of my friends are passionate about some like super nerdy hobby i will list like if it's craft beer i don't give a fuck about craft beer but like one of my best friends is like a beer writer and she'll explain to me in detail every painstaking part of a beer making process. And I'm just like, I just love how much you know about this. And so like, that's part of our attitude about it is just like, let's just talk about whatever we want. Cause that's the most interesting. I made a rule early on and Tom is not such a fan of this rule, but I was like, we are not doing personal essays. Like this is not a personal essay website because I feel like a lot for maybe it's good for SEO or something. I, I really don't understand it, but there's so many personal essays and it's, it's just like, I always just want to be like, I don't know, maybe you should have just gone to therapy. Like, like, I don't really get, and I see this in the wrestling world a lot where, where young wrestling writers will write about like what this match meant to me. And I'm like, that's, I don't know you. Like, I don't <laughs> like that. Like, explain to me why it's an interesting story. Explain to me why it's, you know, like doing something narratologically creative. Explain to me why it's politically relevant. I don't care what it means to you. And so like, I have that problem in a lot of internet writing. And that's been, I've been, and Tom pushes my limits on this a lot where I'm like, it is not a person, we are not writing about ourselves. Which is, yeah. I mean, there is a narcissistic quality to a lot of writers where they do just want to write about themselves. You know, like I was, I was reading like Jezebel a few months ago and it really like, I have always liked Jezebel. I think some of their writing is great. Some of it's really bad, but I clicked on an article and it was like during when Britney Spears was fighting her conservatorship mm -hmm. and some are the, I don't remember the headline was about like uh, thinking reevaluating oops I did it again in light of Britney Spears's controversies and I was like okay interesting like one of my favorite songs of all time I don't know I did not know much about the Britney stuff at the time and it was an essay about like how um the writer used to be beaten by her dad and she used to listen to Oops, I Did It Again to make her feel better. And I'm like, I didn't click on this article to learn about that. Like that is not what I, so I don't know. I've seen it a lot in the wrestling world too, where it's, it's someone will write an essay for some fan website and it's just about like 
this was important to me. And I'm like, that's not interesting writing. Mm. Is there anybody, like any outlet that, that you do read that you feel like is kind of doing on the right track when it comes to like- In how terms you... of wrestling right now? Or yeah, in, in terms, terms of wrestling. writing in general? In terms of wrestling. I mean, I think your stuff is, uh, your, the, the QWI just like, I have done those lists before. I've yeah. never done a 200 person list. Yeah. I cannot imagine how much time that took. I've done like a 100 person list of like queer artists for like queerty back in the day or something. It is so time consuming. So like that, that stuff is really impressive to me and the dedication it takes is really impressive to me. In terms of anyone who's writing about wrestling from like a really interesting perspective, I mean, I'm gonna be real with you, no. Like I'm not mm. finding anyone doing anything particularly interesting with it, no. I think it's a lot, and again, it's partially, I don't think it's because there aren't talented writers. I think it's because talented writers aren't allowed to write interesting things because the interesting things aren't good for SEO. So like, it's a lot of like, you know, I saw an article on The Root the other day of like black women are taking over wrestling. And I'm like, yes, good, great. But like, it's, it's so clearly sort of like, we need these search terms in the article, you know, like it's, yeah. it's, it wasn't likely written by someone who, who does not have a deep and, and uh, meaningful understanding of wrestling. Who's just noticing now there are a lot of black women in wrestling and that's a great thing to tell people because a lot of people don't know that, but is anyone doing something really creative with it right now? Not that I know of. And I, and I, again, I don't think it's because there are not talented people. I think it's because the industry is so heavily bent towards SEO right now and nothing else. Mm. I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Like I think the majority of, of sites that, that cover pro wrestling are in there. Like the one that jumps out to me, like when it, in terms of like what I enjoy reading would be like fan fight, I think is the main one that I, that I go to. I like a lot of their stuff there, but still like, it's just, it's, it, it's an issue that permeates the entire industry in, yeah. in, in the way that you're describing. And it can definitely make for a frustrating time um, when trying to discover new things and find things that can keep you engaged there. Um, I'm curious to ask, as we start to kind of wind down a little bit here, um, you've done a lot of really interesting and, and um, engrossing interviews um, in your work as well. You know, I, some like, Somewhere on this shelf back here, I know I have the the Cassandra Cup uh, zine that mm. has that wonderful um, piece on on Cassandra that you did. Um, is there anybody that stands out to you in terms of who have you have interviewed that you really really enjoyed like delving into that person's uh, wrestling identity or wrestling uh, career? Uh, Edith sticks out to me mm. partially because the the is this dead naming if i call her still life i don't know <laughs> like <laughs> i don't know the politics of that um the the character edith had created as sort of a living piece of art was very interesting to me from an intellectual perspective and from a postmodernist perspective so that and and talking to edith about the way her identity developed alongside this character i found that very intellectually interesting um, obviously talking to RJ was really interesting because RJ has a much more self-aware perspective of the wrestling character. So those two were, I think, were the most intellectually engaging to me. Obviously Effie's just like fun to talk to yeah. um, and has a very unique perspective on the wrestling industry and wrestling marketability. But but it was Edith really, like the, the article I wrote in Orange Crush about Edith was so interesting, you know, like 
it, it feels like I'm joking a lot of the time when I'm writing this stuff where I'm comparing Edith Surreal to like Marina Abramovic, but I'm not joking, bitch. Like there is a real similarity there. And I think it's worth thinking about. And I think there are all of these really uh, rigid ideas about highbrow art and lowbrow art. And people think it's a joke when I say, you know, Edith is doing similar, something Abramovician. And people are like, well, that's a joke. She's a pro wrestler. And I'm like, is it? I mean, think about it. Is it? Yeah. No, you're not wrong. Like, like, <laughs> like it's all in, in perspective and all in like definition in that way. And, and I think to limit how you view certain things like that is, is short-sighted on your part and just kind of leaves you in a place of ignorance. I right. Think. Yeah. I mean, like it comes, it also comes that perspective comes from like when I was writing my master's thesis, I was writing about transgressive art and literature and one of my supervisors was like, I need you to look at this artist. Her name is Orlan. And Orlan is this contemporary artist who gets really extreme plastic surgeries so that she looks like Renaissance paintings. And I thought that was very interesting, but I mean, Amanda Lepore does the same thing. You know, like <laughs> there are girls in the club scene that have been doing that for way longer than this high artist has done it. So it just yeah. like, I was like, this isn't that new or revolutionary. There's been girls in the underground doing this but they're just they just don't write essays about it i don't know yeah it's just like it's it's like that whole idea of like what what kind of drapes are you putting on something right yeah yeah just even like uh you know what art critics found you at the right time that very much so very yeah. much so god yeah no um last question for you like you've, you've interviewed all these people obviously so many different really interesting perspectives there is there anyone that you're just kind of like itching to, to talk to when it comes to these profiles now. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's tough because I, well, I don't have anything to lose at this point. I mean, I, WWE has rejected me for every interview I've requested of them. I feel uh, you. AEW has rejected me for any every interview I've requested of them. So, and I am sure it's because I have been on numerous websites <laughs> critical of both of them. So, you know, I would love to interview Nyla Rose. I was turned down. I would love to interview Orange Cassidy. Nope. Uh, like, they're, they're, those two are the first that come to mind. But yeah, I mean, there's tons of people. I'm, I have since fallen out of covering wrestling as much, partially because of digital media landscape stuff partially because I can't look at Twitter in the same way I used to look at Twitter it's just extremely bad as a medium and not good for people and so I am less likely to be given opportunities to interview those people but yeah Nyla would be obviously you know I've met Nyla we like each other we carry we've we were <laughs> we were on the judges panels at Paris's bumping together you know but can I get an interview with her literally no <laughs> Yeah, the the gatekeeping, I feel you on on that when it when it comes to that stuff. So, um, well, I'm hoping that you do get the chance at some point to to talk to Nala because I would definitely be here for for that profile for sure. Um, accent report, like like I said before, like you, like whenever you say that you are the mother of covering LGBTQ identities in pro wrestling media, like that's no joke. And you, Thank you, you, you are definitely do <laughs> all of the like, not to be cliche or anything, but you are do all the flowers on that. Thank uh, you for sure. And you know, I am really glad to be able to have you on 
the show and to like you know just just pick your mind about this stuff like that's what's really interesting to me about doing this theme month is that like yeah like i want to get like get to know people in the media i want to like get to know people that are covering the same thing that i do but at the same time it's just nice to like get other people's perspectives and then try and like look at how they approach covering these things as well mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. no i really value this time so thank you so much for thank coming you for on. having me no worries let everybody know where they can find you uh, online and they can check out judgment Yes, uh, judgment.substack.com is where you're going to find pretty much all of my writing lately. Every now and then I will tweet, I will retweet a ballroom video on Eric (laughs) underscore Shory on Twitter. Um, That's it. Don't find me anywhere else. I probably don't want to talk to you. (laughs) Well, thank you. My thanks once again to DJ Accent Report for taking the time to sit down and chat all about the nobodies and about his own uh work in in pro wrestling and the greater world of digital media um i really really value um having the opportunity to to speak with him as many times as i have Uh, and you know i think that the foundation that that he laid has definitely helped me and countless other people who have either been a guest on this show from the rest of media world or um, maybe future guests on this show <laughs> in terms of uh, queer voices in, in this space um, have a, a lot to owe to DJ accident report. And um, yeah, I'm just glad that we're able to chat and chop it up a bit. And just, you know, I, it was a really fun conversation. So thank you again. Accident report. Um, that's going to do it for, for this week and this month. Come back next week. We will have one show as opposed to two shows a week. Back to just Thursdays only. But that's doesn't mean that quality is going down at all, obviously. We maintained that for almost two and a half years now at this point. Wow, I can't believe we've been doing this show that long. That's wild to think about. I Things hit you at the weirdest times. Anyway... <laughs> But no, we're kicking off February, though, with a very, very uh, special guest um, who uh, you'll find out next week who that is. Um, but yeah, it's it's shaping up to be another fun month as we start to roll into like all kinds of new um, independent pro wrestling events popping up, favorite, like old favorites that are still there and giving us new things. Um all kinds of fun of fun shows happening as well as you start to head towards WrestleMania week. You know, we've got the collective events that are, that are being announced. I'm sure IWTV is going to have some stuff to talk about in the coming weeks and months ahead of um, the end of March, beginning of April there. So it's, we're getting into the season where it could be the most exciting and also the most hectic (laughs) for wrestling fans Uh, and i am eagerly awaiting what is coming down the pike but until then y'all stay messy wash your hands wear your mask get vaccinated and boosted if possible and make sure to go check out the latest episode of nobody's watching wrestling where dj accident report and lady verica talk all about penelope ford over on YouTube. Everybody's ready to die. Everybody's ready to die.
with the bridge. She made a deal with the demon so her lover could live. But the moon is out.